Book the Third, Chapter Nine of Armadale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. Armadale by Wilkie Collins. Book the Third, Chapter Nine. She knows the truth. One from Mr. Bashwood to Miss Gwilt. Thorpe Ambrose, July the 20th, 1851. Dear Madam, I received yesterday by private messenger your obliging note, in which you direct me to communicate with you through the post only, as long as there is reason to believe that any visitors who may come to you are likely to be observed may i be permitted to say that i look forward with respectful anxiety to the time when i shall again enjoy the only real happiness i have ever experienced the happiness of personally addressing you in compliance with your desire that i should not allow this day the sunday to pass without privately noticing what went on at the great house i took the keys and went this morning to the steward's office I accounted for my appearance to the servants by informing them that I had work to do which was important to complete in the shortest possible time. The same excuse would have done for Mr. Armadale if we had met, but no such meeting happened. Although I was at Thorpe Ambrose in what I thought good time, I was too late to see or hear anything myself of a serious quarrel which appeared to have taken place just before I arrived between mr armadale and mr midwinter all the little information i can give you in this matter is derived from one of the servants the man told me that he heard the voices of the two gentlemen loud in mr armadale's sitting-room he went in to announce breakfast shortly afterward and found mr midwinter in such a dreadful state of agitation that he had to be helped out of the room the servant tried to take him upstairs to lie down and compose himself he declined saying he would wait a little first in one of the lower rooms and begging that he might be left alone the man had hardly got downstairs again when he heard the front door opened and closed he ran back and found that mr midwinter was gone the rain was pouring at the time and thunder and lightning came soon afterward dreadful weather certainly to go out in the servant thinks mr midwinter's mind was unsettled i sincerely hope not mr midwinter is one of the few people i have met with in the course of my life who have treated me kindly hearing that mr armadale still remained in the sitting-room i went into the steward's office which as you may remember is on the same side of the house and left the door ajar and set the window open waiting and listening for anything that might happen dear madam there was a time when i might have thought such a position in the house of my employer not a very becoming one let me hasten to assure you that this is far from being my feeling now i glory in any position which makes me serviceable to you the state of the weather seemed hopelessly adverse to that renewal of intercourse between mr armadale and miss milroy which you so confidently anticipate 
and of which you are so anxious to be made aware strangely enough however it is actually in consequence of the state of the weather that i am now in a position to give you the very information you require mr armadale and miss milroy met about an hour since the circumstances were as follows just at the beginning of the thunderstorm i saw one of the grooms run across from the stables and heard him tap at his master's window mr armadale opened the window and asked what was the matter the groom said he came with a message from the coachman's wife she had seen from her room over the stables which looks out on to the park miss milroy quite alone standing for shelter under one of the trees as that part of the park was at some distance from the major's cottage she had thought that her master might wish to send and ask the young lady into the house especially as she had placed herself with a thunderstorm coming on in what might turn out to be a very dangerous position the moment mr armadale understood the man's message he called for the waterproof things and the umbrellas and ran out himself instead of leaving it to the servants in a little time he and the groom came back with miss milroy between them as well protected as could be from the rain i ascertained from one of the women-servants who had taken the young lady into a bedroom and had supplied her with such dry things as she wanted that miss milroy had been afterward shown into the drawing-room and that mr armadale was there with her the only way of following your instructions and finding out what passed between them was to go round the house in the pelting rain and get into the conservatory which opens into the drawing-room by the outer door i hesitated nothing dear madam in your service i would cheerfully get wet every day to please you besides though i may at first sight be thought rather an elderly man a wetting is of no very serious consequence to me i assure you i am not so old as i look and i am of a stronger constitution than appears it was impossible for me to get near enough in the conservatory to see what went on in the drawing-room without the risk of being discovered but most of the conversation reached me except when they dropped their voices this is the substance of what i heard i gathered that miss milroy had been prevailed on against her will to take refuge from the thunderstorm in mr armadale's house she said so at least and she gave two reasons the first was that her father had forbidden all intercourse between the cottage and the great house mr armadale met this objection by declaring that her father had issued his orders under a total misconception of the truth and by entreating her not to treat him as cruelly as the major had treated him he entered i suspect into some explanations at this point but as he dropped his voice i am unable to say what they were his language when i did hear it was confused and ungrammatical it seemed however to be quite intelligible enough to persuade miss milroy that her father had been acting under a mistaken impression of the circumstances at least i infer this for when i next heard the conversation the young lady was driven back to her second objection to being in the house which was that mr armadale had behaved very badly to her 
and that he richly deserved that she should never speak to him again. In this latter case Mr. Armadale attempted no defence of any kind. He agreed with her that he had behaved badly. He agreed with her that he richly deserved she should never speak to him again. At the same time he implored her to remember that he had suffered his punishment already. He was disgraced in the neighbourhood, and his dearest friend, his one intimate friend in the world, had that very morning turned against him like the rest. Far or near there was not a living creature whom he was fond of to comfort him or to say a friendly word to him. He was lonely and miserable, and his heart ached for a little kindness, and that was his only excuse for asking Miss Milroy to forget and forgive the past. I must leave you, I fear, to judge for yourself of the effect of this on the young lady, for though I tried hard I failed to catch what she said. I am almost certain I heard her crying, and Mr. Armadale entreating her not to break his heart. They whispered a great deal, which aggravated me. I was afterward alarmed by Mr. Armadale coming out into the conservatory to pick some flowers. He did not come as far, fortunately, as the place where I was hidden, and he went in again into the drawing-room, and there was more talking, I suspect at close quarters, which to my great regret I again failed to catch. Pray forgive me for having so little to tell you. I can only add that when the storm cleared off, Miss Milroy went away with the flowers in her hand, and with Mr. Armadale escorting her from the house. My own humble opinion is that he had a powerful friend at court, all through the interview, in the young lady's own liking for him. This is all I can say at present, with the exception of one other thing I heard which I blush to mention. But your word is law, and you have ordered me to have no concealments from you. Their talk turned once, dear madam, on yourself. I think I heard the word creature from Miss Milroy, and I am certain that Mr. Armadale, while acknowledging that he had once admired you, added that circumstances had since satisfied him of his folly. I quote his own expression. It made me quite tremble with indignation. If I may be permitted to say so, the man who admires Miss Gwilt lives in paradise. Respect, if nothing else, ought to have closed Mr. Armadale's lips. He is my employer, I know. But after his calling it an act of folly to admire you, though I am his deputy steward, I utterly despise him. Trusting that I may have been so happy as to give you satisfaction thus far, and earnestly desirous to deserve the honour of your continued confidence in me, I remain, dear madam, your grateful and devoted servant, Felix Bashwood. 2. From Mrs. Oldershaw to Miss Gwilt Diana Street, Monday, July the 21st My dear Lydia, I trouble you with a few lines. They are written under a sense of the duty which I owe to myself in our present position toward each other. I am not at all satisfied with the tone of your last two letters, 
and i am still less pleased at your leaving me this morning without any letter at all and this when we had arranged in the doubtful state of our prospects that i was to hear from you every day i can only interpret your conduct in one way i can only infer that matters at thorpe ambrose having been all mismanaged are all going wrong it is not my present object to reproach you for why should i waste time language and paper i merely wish to recall to your memory certain considerations which you appear to be disposed to overlook shall i put them in the plainest english yes for with all my faults i am frankness personified in the first place then i have an interest in your becoming mrs armadale of thorpe ambrose as well as you secondly i have provided you to say nothing of good advice with all the money needed to accomplish our object thirdly i hold your notes of hand at short dates for every farthing so advanced fourthly and lastly though i am indulgent to a fault in the capacity of a friend in the capacity of a woman of business my dear i am not to be trifled with that is all lydia at least for the present pray don't suppose i write in anger i am only sorry and disheartened my state of mind resembles david's if i had the wings of a dove i would flee away and be at rest affectionately yours maria oldershaw three from mr bashwood to miss gwilt thorpe ambrose july the twenty first dear madam you will probably receive these lines a few hours after my yesterday's communication reaches you i posted my first letter last night and i shall post this before noon to-day my present object in writing is to give you some more news from this house i have the inexpressible happiness of announcing that mr armadale's disgraceful intrusion on your privacy is at an end the watch set on your actions is to be withdrawn this day i write dear madam with the tears in my eyes tears of joy caused by feelings which i ventured to express in my previous letter see first paragraph toward the end pardon me this personal reference i can speak to you i don't know why so much more readily with my pen than with my tongue let me try to compose myself and proceed with my narrative i had just arrived at the steward's office this morning when mr pedgift the elder followed me to the great house to see mr armadale by special appointment it is needless to say that i at once suspended any little business there was to do feeling that your interests might possibly be concerned it is also most gratifying to add that this time circumstances favoured me i was able to stand under the open window and to hear the whole interview mr armadale explained himself at once in the plainest terms he gave orders that the person who had been hired to watch you should be instantly dismissed on being asked to explain this sudden change of purpose he did not conceal that it was owing to the effect produced on his mind by what had passed between mr midwinter and himself on the previous day 
mr midwinter's language cruelly unjust as it was had nevertheless convinced him that no necessity whatever could excuse any proceeding so essentially base in itself as the employment of a spy and on that conviction he was now determined to act but for your own positive directions to me to conceal nothing that passes here in which your name is concerned i should really be ashamed to report what mr pedgift said on his side he has behaved kindly to me, I know, but if he was my own brother I could never forgive him the tone in which he spoke of you, and the obstinacy with which he tried to make Mr. Armadale change his mind. He began by attacking Mr. Midwinter. He declared that Mr. Midwinter's opinion was the very worst opinion that could be taken, for it was quite plain that you, dear madam, had twisted him round your finger producing no effect by this coarse suggestion which nobody who knows you could for a moment believe mr pedgift next referred to miss milroy and asked mr armadale if he had given up all idea of protecting her what this meant i cannot imagine i can only report it for your private consideration mr armadale briefly answered that he had his own plan for protecting miss milroy and that the circumstances were altered in that quarter or words to a similar effect still mr pedgift persisted he went on i blush to mention from bad to worse he tried to persuade mr armadale next to bring an action at law against one or other of the persons who had been most strongly condemning his conduct in the neighbourhood for the purpose i really hardly know how to write it of getting you into the witness-box and worse yet when mr armadale still said no mr pedgift after having as i suspected by the sound of his voice been on the point of leaving the room artfully came back and proposed sending for a detective officer from london simply to look at you the whole of this mystery about miss gwilt's true character he said may turn on a question of identity it won't cost much to have a man down from london and it's worth trying whether her face is or is not known at headquarters to the police i again and again assure you dearest lady that i only repeat those abominable words from a sense of duty toward yourself i shook i declare i shook from head to foot when i heard them to resume for there is more to tell you mr armadale to his credit i don't deny it though i don't like him still said no he appeared to be getting irritated under mr pedgift's persistence and he spoke in a somewhat hasty way you persuaded me on the last occasion when we talked about this he said to do something that i have been since heartily ashamed of you won't succeed in persuading me mr pedgift a second time those were his words mr pedgift took him up short mr pedgift seemed to be nettled on his side if that is the light in which you see my advice sir he said the less you have of it for the future the better your character and position are publicly involved in this matter between yourself and miss gwilt and you persist at a most critical moment in taking a course of your own which i believe will end badly 
after what i have already said and done in this very serious case i can't consent to go on with it with both my hands tied and i can't drop it with credit to myself while i remain publicly known as your solicitor you leave me no alternative sir but to resign the honour of acting as your legal adviser i am sorry to hear it says mr armadale but i have suffered enough already through interfering with miss gwilt i can't and won't stir any further in the matter you may not stir any further in it sir said mr pedgift and i shall not stir any further in it for it has ceased to be a question of professional interest to me but mark my words mr armadale you are not at the end of this business yet some other person's curiosity may go on from the point where you and i have stopped and some other person's hand may let the broad daylight in yet on miss gwilt i report their language dear madam almost word for word i believe as i heard it it produced an indescribable impression on me it filled me i hardly know why with quite a panic of alarm i don't at all understand it and i understand still less what happened immediately afterward mr pedgift's voice when he said those last words sounded dreadfully close to me he must have been speaking at the open window and he must i fear have seen me under it i had time before he left the house to get out quietly from among the laurels but not to get back to the office accordingly i walked away along the drive toward the lodge as if i was going on some errand connected with the steward's business before long mr pedgift overtook me in his gig and stopped so you feel some curiosity about miss gwilt do you he said gratify your curiosity by all means i don't object to it i felt naturally nervous but i managed to ask him what he meant he didn't answer he only looked down at me from the gig in a very odd manner and laughed i have known stranger things happen even than that he said to himself suddenly and drove off i have ventured to trouble you with this last incident though it may seem of no importance in your eyes in the hope that your superior ability may be able to explain it my own poor faculties i confess are quite unable to penetrate mr pedgift's meaning all i know is that he has no right to accuse me of any such impertinent feeling as curiosity in relation to a lady whom i ardently esteem and admire i dare not put it in warmer words i have only to add that i am in a position to be of continued service to you here if you wish it mr armadale has just been into the office and has told me briefly that in mr midwinter's continued absence i am still to act as steward's deputy till further notice believe me dear madam anxiously and devotedly yours felix bashwood four from allan armadale to the reverend decimus brock thorpe ambrose tuesday my dear mr brock i am in sad trouble midwinter has quarrelled with me and left me and my lawyer has quarrelled with me and left me 
and except dear little miss milroy who has forgiven me all the neighbors have turned their backs on me there is a good deal about me in this but i can't help it i am very miserable alone in my own house do pray come and see me you are the only old friend i have left and i do long so to tell you about it n b on my word of honour as a gentleman i am not to blame yours affectionately alan armadale p s i would come to you for this place has grown quite hateful to me but i have a reason for not going too far away from miss milroy just at present five from robert stapleton to alan armadale esq bascombe rectory thursday morning respected sir i see a letter in your writing on the table along with the others which i am sorry to say my master is not well enough to open he is down with a sort of low fever the doctor says it has been brought on by worry and anxiety which the master was not strong enough to bear this seems likely for i was with him when he went to london last month and what with his own business and the, and the business of looking after that person who afterward gave us the slip he was worried and anxious all the time and for the matter of that so was i my master was talking of you a day or two since he seemed unwilling that you should know of his illness unless he got worse but i think you ought to know of it at the same time he is not worse perhaps a trifle better the doctor says he must be kept very quiet and not agitated on any account so be pleased to take no notice of this i mean in the way of coming to the rectory i have the doctor's orders to say it is not needful and it would only upset my master in the state he is in now i will write again if you wish it please accept of my duty and believe me to remain sir your humble servant robert stapleton p s the yacht has been rigged and repainted waiting your orders she looks beautiful six from mrs oldershaw to miss quilt diana street july the twenty fourth miss gwilt the post hour has passed for three mornings following and has brought me no answer to my letter are you purposely bent on insulting me or have you left thorpe ambrose in either case i won't put up with your conduct any longer the law shall bring you to book if i can't your first note of hand for thirty pounds falls due on tuesday next the twenty-ninth if you had behaved with common consideration towards me i would have let you renew it with pleasure as things are i shall have the note presented and if it is not paid i shall instruct my man of business to take the usual course yours maria oldershaw seven from miss gwilt to mrs oldershaw five paradise place thorpe ambrose july the twenty fifth mrs oldershaw the time of your man of business being no doubt of some value i write a line to assist him when he takes the usual course 
he will find me waiting to be arrested in the first-floor apartments at the above address in my present situation and with my present thoughts the best service you can possibly render me is to lock me up l g eight from mrs oldershaw to miss quilt diana street july the twenty sixth my darling lydia the longer i live in this wicked world the more plainly i see that women's own tempers are the worst enemies women have to contend with what a truly regretful style of correspondence we have fallen into what a sad want of self-restraint my dear on your side and on mine let me as the oldest in years be the first to make the needful excuses the first to blush for my own want of self-control your cruel neglect lydia stung me into writing as i did i am so sensitive to ill-treatment when it is inflicted on me by a person whom i love and admire and though turned sixty i am still unfortunately for myself so young at heart accept my apologies for having made use of my pen when i ought to have been content to take refuge in my pocket-handkerchief forgive your attached maria for being still young at heart but oh my dear though i own i threatened you how hard of you to take me at my word how cruel of you if your debt had been ten times what it is to suppose me capable whatever i might say of the odious inhumanity of arresting my bosom friend heavens have i deserved to be taken at my word in this unmercifully exact way after the years of tender intimacy that have united us but i don't complain i only mourn over the frailty of our common human nature let us expect as little of each other as possible my dear we are both women and we can't help it i declare when i reflect on the origin of our unfortunate sex when i remember that we were all originally made of no better material than the rib of a man and that rib of so little importance to its possessor that he never appears to have missed it afterward i am quite astonished at our virtues and not in the least surprised at our faults i am wandering a little i am losing myself in serious thought like that sweet character in shakespeare who was fancy free one last word dearest to say that my longing for an answer to this proceeds entirely from my wish to hear from you again in your old friendly tone and is quite unconnected with any curiosity to know what you are doing at thorpe ambrose except such curiosity as you yourself might approve need i add that i beg you as a favour to me to renew on the customary terms i refer to the little bill due on tuesday next and i venture to suggest that day six weeks yours with a truly motherly feeling maria oldershaw nine from miss gwilt to mrs oldershaw paradise place july the twenty seventh i have just got your last letter 
the brazen impudence of it has roused me i am to be treated like a child am i to be threatened first and then if threatening fails to be coaxed afterward you shall coax me you shall know my motherly friend the sort of child you have to deal with i had a reason mrs oldershaw for the silence which has so seriously offended you i was afraid actually afraid to let you into the secret of my thoughts no such fear troubles me now my only anxiety this morning is to make you my best acknowledgments for the manner in which you have written to me after carefully considering it i think the worst turn i can possibly do you is to tell you what you are burning to know so here i am at my desk bent on telling it if you don't bitterly repent when you are at the end of this letter not having held to your first resolution and locked me up out of harm's way while you had the chance my name is not lydia gwilt End of chapter 9 part 1 Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey